right. So if you have your Bibles, um, we are ready for, we're not ready for, we're going to start a new two-week series today in first, I'm sorry, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I want you to hold a finger there, and I want you to find Luke chapter 10. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and Luke chapter 10. We're technically going to start in Luke chapter 10, and then we'll be in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So I want to give a forewarning. Um, You know, every week we see new faces in church, which we're super excited about and super blessed about. And so, you know, as I look around and I see some new faces, it's, it's always a little bit of a tough subject when somebody's new in church and this is the week we're talking about money because you know i know for you guys it feels bad right like you invite your friends and your friends say i'm not going to church all churches bound they just want your money and you say no no it's really not like that it's great you should come you love my pastor he teaches right through the bible and it'll be great then you bring your friend they finally talk him into coming for the first time and it's this sunday and i'm talking about money and then you get a look at your friend has to look at you and say i told you so so I apologize up front. You know, we, our style here, it's nice. We just teach chapter by chapter, verse for, by verse. And what that does is when the, the Bible talks about money, we talk about money. When the Bible's talking about something else, we're talking about whatever Jesus is talking about. And I can never aim my sermon at somebody or direct it or if there's a problem going on in the church. We just cover what the Bible's covering on that week. But we have taken, we're in the book of Matthew right now, and we've taken a two-week break, and we're going to cover chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And the reason why we're doing that is because we have, um, we're in the middle of, and I guess the kind of church term, I don't really like it, but I guess it's the proper term, is a capital gains campaign. Now, our particular capital gains campaign um, is we, we've asked the church for us to bring a special offering in order to buy the building we're in and begin to renovate it. Now, our big, our big vision for our church is we bought a piece of property, three and three quarter acres in a beautiful piece of um, uh, area of town with a wonderful view of the Salt Lake to the north. We have a park right across the street that the city mows and pays for and maintains. We don't have to worry about. And, and so our long-term vision, maybe three to five year vision is to build a church ground up. But in order to build a church ground up, you know, it's, it's, if anybody knows construction, it's, it's quite a, a daunting task. And it's a three, four million dollar project to build a church ground up. And we're just not there yet. And so we, we need something that's a middle ground, something that's not the end all be all, but something that's bigger and, and gives us room to grow in here in the next three to five years where we can grow and, and get to the place where we can um, build our own church. We were, we were offered this building to buy it a year ago, and we turned it down because we said we want to get out of this building as fast as we can, and um, we're, we've outgrown it. Last week, every third Sunday, we have the um, um, New, New Hope House, the 180 Ministry Girls. They, they come, and so last week they were here, and that's another 30 bodies in this room, and, and if you guys were here last week, there was absolutely nowhere to sit down. And so we, we've just needed to grow and, and, and have some bigger space for a long time. So, um, so when, you know, we've tried different things. You guys know the Sears building over here just went out of business and they offered to sell that to us when it came up. And we considered that it was a bigger box to give us some more room, but we'd have to start over. It was quite expensive by the time it was all said and done. And, and, you know, as a church, as a board, it just wasn't the direction we felt God was leading. And then again, at the same time, this, um, came up and, and we can buy this building and, and our mortgage will be less than what we pay in rent a month. 
We'll, we'll, we'll be able to renovate it and add 100 chairs to the sanctuary. We're going to have some ideas and have it designed so that we can open up the space. We'll have the space behind us now and, and be able to, to enlarge the sanctuary to, to be more comfortable and, and hopefully fit another 100 chairs in. Um, the, the, the nice thing is, is that in the next three to five years, we'll be able to save money monthly. We'll be able to um, build equity in this building that if we sold it when we go to build our own church or, or if we um, cut it back into lease space and lease the space out and use it as a source of income for the church um, when we build our new building or if we move into a new building. And so it's just win-win. It's up, up all the way around. We're going to have to be here for a little bit. So we're going to stay. We're going to remodel as a part of the vision is to remodel the main street side of the building. Um, that part of the project I've been calling lipstick on the pig. And so, um, so what we did was right about the middle of July, we, we started to announce, and, and when, when we decided we were going to enter into escrow for this building, um, the big thing was the, the bank had to loan us the money. We've only been a church. The other cool thing is that next Sunday when we receive this offering is our fifth year anniversary to the day. Our first Sunday was September 1st, 2013, and so we are having a, f- a five-year anniversary party next Sunday as well, which is super exciting. And... Um, so we, we, we haven't really had the, the, we don't have the history that a bank takes us seriously in a loan to us. So the bank that we had been with prior was a bank called ECCU, Evangelical Christian Credit Union. And we first approached them and we just didn't meet the criteria to, to be a commercial lender um, at the time. So the other part of the deal that was really sweet for us was that on, on the seller side of the deal, they also helped us with the bank and we're now with MACU. Um, is that right? Mountain America, um, credit union. And so, and, and so I've been announcing that, that we're in the the throes of deciding whether they're going to loan us the money we applied. And, and the first answer we got back, do you remember what the first answer was? Maybe, or suspend. And, and so, um, I got the word this week and the new answer is, (laughs) how'd you know? You just expect it or what? Or you just believe God is good or what? So it was actually a little touch and go. That was supposed to be like a mic drop announcement. But so, yes, we got a yes this week. So we're super excited. So that means we are moving forward with buying the building. It is contingent as any loan is at this point upon appraisal and um, insurance. So as long as the appraisals come back well enough and match and everything works, then we um, by October 1st is about the time we're expecting to close escrow. So what we did again, we presented it to the church around that time. And we said that at the time we had 60,000 in order to do this project, we needed 120,000 and we were shooting for a goal of trying to raise um, an additional 60,000 to um, make this all happen. And and part of what we did was we stepped out in faith um, in the beginning, because even now it's a, it's a little bit of a step of faith because we are now in a contract and we're going to have to write a check at a certain point that we don't have the money for it today, but we're believing that when, when it comes time to write the check, God's going God's gonna to do it. You know, we ask God for these kind of opportunities, and, and God's presented them before. And it's kind of cool because as a church, in five years, we came to this place uh, at other times where we, where we stepped out in faith. And, and in, unless God showed up and did a miracle, we, we were going to fail. And so we're there again. Unless God shows up and through us and through this offering does a miracle... Um, 
I can't even say the words because we're not going to fail, but we, we need God to show up. We're standing on the edge of the Red Sea. The Egyptian army is coming. So, so anyways, again, the way we presented it was we've asked everybody to pray about um, how they want to be a part. We've been very careful to make sure that everybody understands there's no obligation. There's no um, begrudging. There's no requirement. There's no commandment. It's a free will offering. A free will offering has to be above and beyond your normal ties and, 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 and gifts because it's a free will offering. It's above and beyond. And so, um, again, we, we've asked you to pray and, and get a number from God and see what part God wants you to be. And if, if God's called you to be no part, praise God. And we love you the same either way. And if God's called you to be the whole part, then praise God, the rest of us can relax. But I don't think that's the way God's going to do it. I think it's just going to do it by, you know, each of us bringing the five loaves and the few fish that we have and God's going to multiply them. So, you know, when, when we talk about the area of money, I, I want to be careful that it's never lost, that the vision is never lost in what the money's for and what we're doing. And if what we're doing here in this church and in Tooele County, if we're not teaching the word of God, if we're not um, a place that, 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 that's sharing the love of Jesus Christ and our vision is to grow is not that it's going to be a greater impact upon the lives of people and be a lighthouse and see more people's lives change and people get saved and people come to, the, to, to salvation in Jesus Christ, then we missed it, right? And so again, just making sure that we understand that, yeah, we want to grow. You know, and I, I can remember I went through a phase where I would always apologize of wanting to be a bigger church or big. And I got to the point where I'm stop apologizing for wanting to be bigger because more people and bigger means more lives change for Jesus Christ. And, and if we're not here to change lives for Jesus Christ, what are we doing? If we're not called by God to be fishers of men, then, then we're missing it anyways. But, but in all that, it's, it's an investment within our own family. You know, last time we had something like this happen, we did a, we did a capital gains campaign one other time in this church, and we made it national. And we, we put the word out, and, and, and we sent out letters all over the nation and to all, all our, our donors all over from back home, from California, all over. And this time we didn't do that. This time we, we, we pretty much kept it in-house. And we, we felt like it was kind of a, a, an opportunity for our church to, and if we're going to buy a building, if we're going to grow, if we're going to build a church someday down there, and, and it's a, a multi-million dollar project, that there, there needed to be some buy-in and, and, and some, some you know, people that this is something that we believe in and we want to do. And so, again, that's next week. And we've, again, been asking for about six weeks for people to pray about that and, and bring that. And we're going to receive that next Sunday, um, September 2nd, on our five-year anniversary. Amen? Amen? So if you're at Luke chapter 10, I want to begin there just a little bit with a vision. And then we are going to talk about in um, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. It's probably one of the places in the New Testament that has the most concise dealing with money. And we'll get to that in um, a short minute. But I want to share with you guys kind of the heart of our church. It says, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, it's important that you notice that this particular lawyer, um, he was doing what to Jesus? What does it say there in verse number 25? He was doing what? Come on, look at your Bible. Luke 10, 25. The, the lawyer was doing what? Testing him. So the lawyer wasn't have a sincerity of heart. How do I get saved? How do I inherit eternal life? These lawyers, oftentimes in the life and the ministry of Jesus, they, they would really work hard on these questions to trap Jesus. Jesus, should, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Oh, we got him now. If he says, no, it's not lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, we're going to turn him into the Roman government and they'll arrest him and throw him in prison. 
If, if he says, yes, it's lawful to pay, pay taxes to Caesar, the Jews are going to turn on him because they hate the oppression of the Roman government. And on and on and on through Jesus's life, they were constantly testing him. So this guy comes and he doesn't have a sincerity of heart. He's testing Jesus. And I love it because through the narrative of this story, and you should know this story, it's called the Good Samaritan. Jesus is very kind of aloof almost. He's kind of like messing with the guy. He's just like, yeah, 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 yeah. And you, you know, I want to be careful how I describe Jesus's behavior here. But he, he doesn't really pay the guy much mind. And he turns it back on him. And his own trap that he came to trap Jesus in, the guy gets trapped in himself. And he starts backpedaling on his question. Now, again, he's smug. He's he's you know, if, if somebody comes to Jesus sincerely and says, how can I get saved? How can I inherit eternal life? You, have you read John chapter three? Jesus is talking to a guy named Nicodemus and Nicodemus has a sincere heart of how do I get saved? And Jesus says, you must be born again. And then he goes on and he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And Jesus pours his heart out in John chapter three to a guy named Nicodemus because he had a sincerity of heart with the same question. Now we come to this story in recorded in, in Luke's gospel in the 10th chapter. Same question, different outcome because the guy had a different heart and it was a matter of the heart. And, and, it sa- and he said to him, Jesus talking, what is written in the law? And what is your reading of it? So Jesus said, you read the Bible. What do you think? The guy said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, what do you think? You, what's it, what do you think it says? It's written. And the guy says, well, uh, uh, well, I think it says. And the guy said to him in verse 27, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you live. And the guy said, whoa, the Bible says to love the Lord God with all your heart, mind and soul. Love your neighbors yourself. Jesus says, okay, cool. Do that. The guy's like, what? Like, that's it? Like, oh, well, now he really wants to know. And now he's, oh, well, okay, then, then who is my neighbor? Because Jesus just doesn't answer. He's like, okay, yeah. What you, you read the Bible. What do you think? And the guy said, I think this. Okay, that sounds good. Do that. And then he says, the guy said to Jesus, who's my neighbor? And Jesus said to him, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothes and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. I think it's kind of funny that the Bible says this dude was half dead. This is Jesus talking, by the way, right? (laughs) Half dead, kind of like it was like Princess Bride when Wesley died and they brought him to the healer. And they said, oh, he's dead. And the healer, what did the healer say? He's not dead. He's mostly dead. There's a big difference, right? And, and so Jesus here is like, this guy's mostly dead. He's, he's half dead. I don't know what, like Jesus had like a, he could tell, like the guy was half dead. But that was a term that Jesus used. He's, he's half dead. He's hemorrhaging. Um, and then he says, now by chance, a priest came down the road. And when he had saw him, he passed by the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, he came to look and he also passed by on the other side. So the priest and the Levite would represent um, religion and religiosity and any kind of religious person or organization, a priest and a Levite are, are, are folks that were outwardly religious, right? Would anybody agree? Somebody's a priest, he's got a collar on, you think he's a religious guy. Well, religion sees the Samaritan, I'm sorry, sees the half dead guy and he passes by on the other side. And then Jesus goes on and he says, 
But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, I think in this point in the story, Jesus is probably by now starting to lead on to the guy that Jesus is the good Samaritan in the story. That the good Samaritan um, represents Jesus and, and what Jesus does in the lives of people. I think sometimes we, we want to put ourselves in there as the good Samaritan. And I think that fits in the way that we want to be like the good Samaritan. We want to be Christ-like. And so the first thing is, it's a, it's a sign of Jesus, is when it says in verse 33 that he had compassion. And so he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal. So when you see oil and wine, it's often a reminder of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Now, you see in the Bible as an idiom for Jesus Christ, bread and wine. Whenever you see bread and wine, you see it all the way through the Old Testament. It's always a picture, bread, a picture of Jesus's what? Body and wine, a picture of Jesus's blood. It's the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And so here we see the oil and the wine, the wine being a picture of the blood of Jesus. And so this guy's life is now going to be changed by the anointing oil, which is a type of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit and blood. And so Jesus is saying he, he anointed his head with oil, he, he, put, he used wine, and he put him on his own animal. And so Jesus puts, or the Good Samaritan puts the, the wounded guy on his own animal, and he's going to take him to the inn. So Jesus puts you on his own animal, on his own, um, um, you know, and he walks, and he humbles. And then they get to the inn, and he... And it says in verse number 35, it says, And on the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii and he gave them to him. And he said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come, I will repay you. So in the, in the story of the Good Samaritan, we have this half-dead guy and he's brought to the inn. Now, the inn in the story, what does that represent? That's us. That's the church. That's the local church. There would have been different inns and different places. But, but the idea is that Jesus brings us people through this door and they're half dead. And, and they're wounded and they're hemorrhaging. And, and, and we're that little inn that could. It's our job. And, and it's humbling to think that Jesus said, take care of them. And, and, and he gave two, two denarii. And he said, if you spent this and you spend more, when I come back, I will repay you. You know, sometimes I worry and I complain about what we spend to serve and help people. And then I read this reminder that Jesus says, I will repay you. And, and the idea, again, listen, for us as a church, and this is vision. I haven't even got to talking about money yet, which I will shortly. The, the, the idea is that, that we are a, a little in that could. We're the place where God brings people that are half dead. And do, do every one of us, do you as a church, do we as a church at Calvary Chapel have a heart that we understand that's why we function? And that we're going to love those people. We're going to care for those people. We're going to minister to them. We're going to bandage them. We're going to put oil and wine and put them on our animal. And, and the whole process is that we care for them and we take care of them so they can get well until what? Until Jesus comes back. And, and that has to be our church. Do you realize that church is a hospital for the sick? And, and, and if we don't have any sick people in our church... Then, then we're not, we have, if everybody's a doctor, we're, we're, we're not a very good hospital. And if we have all patients and no doctors, we're not a very good hospital. And if none of our patients are getting better, 
then we're not doing a very good job. And so we, we're, we're a hospital for the sick, but it takes, listen, a, a heart of, of, of people together, you and I, that every one of us has this buy-in, that we are the in, and as God brings us half-dead people, God's called us to love them and care for them and nurture them. Or do we want to be like the priest and the Levite who walked by on the other side of the street? You know, you know what? As, as, as this guy came, it tells us he got beat up by thieves, but nowhere did the inn or nobody care how the person got that way. It, it was, the concern wasn't, oh, did he do it to himself? Is he, is he addicted? Is he strung out? Is he struggling? Is it self-afflicted? Does he deserve that? No, nowhere. Just take care of him till I come. And when I, when I come back, I'll repay you. And we, we, we want to be that. That's our heart. That's our heart, that we have people, when they come, they're welcomed, they're loved. When, when new people come, they, they feel right away welcomed, right away loved, right away that, that the, the spirit of what happens here is to love and to encourage and to see people's lives that are broken be made whole by the love of Jesus Christ. You know, you know what our number, one of our number one prayers is? Is that God would bring us people that are half dead. That God would bring us people that, it says in Ephesians, the term is afar from God. And that our job is, as God brings us people far from God, that we, our job is to bring them close to God and see their lives healed. But let me tell you the problem about when people show up that are half dead. They bring something with them. Big word, starts with a P. Their problems. And, 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 and they're bleeding. And, and, and they're hemorrhaging. And they're pussing on the carpet and the chairs. And they're making messes. And we don't like that all the time. And sometimes it's easier just to say, you know, go somewhere else. But listen, we can never have that heart, right? We can never have that. that that's not us. That's not who we are. That's not what God's called us to do or what God's called us to be. Amen? So as, so as we think about vision for our church, first, I just want to say that, yeah, we, we do have a vision to grow. We, we are in a place where we're presenting a need to our church that, that we, we, we need some more resources in order to meet those needs. But I, again, I don't want it to get lost in, in anything other than the desire to be a, a, a welcoming mat and an inn and a place where people's lives can be changed for Jesus Christ. I also want to tell you just as the core of who we are as a church, that our vision and our heart here is to be a church that gives away what God gives us. We've tried to model that for the last five years, and we've given some pretty big gifts to different missions and different works. You know, for us personally, we want to vet those. We want to be careful how we give, where we give, because for us, and not that there's lots of great places and and great organizations that we can give towards. But for us personally, our heart is is to give towards people that are using Jesus and the gospel to change lives. And, and there's other great organizations that do great humanitarian work um, and that are not using the gospel. But for us, so for example, there was, there was a, a great um, recognized need in our country. And I, I don't know if it's still the same today, but a couple years ago, what was happening was most of our, our soldiers that were returning from combat over the last 10 years from, from our war that we've been in the Middle East for the last 10 years, there was a stat that 22 veterans were committing suicide a day. And so we wanted to address that. We wanted to help that. We wanted to be a part of that. So we looked for people and organizations that were serving that community, serving those men, those soldiers with Jesus. 
And, and we found a place, we found, we have a, a place that, that is a Christian retreat center that soldiers, vets, former combat people that are going through PTSD, many of them that, that you know, in the past have been committing suicide, were coming to this place and receiving help. And the help was the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so those are areas that we're looking for. But again, we, we, we want to give it away. How many of you guys use the YouVersion app on your, on your phone? Okay, you have your phone. If you have your, your Bible app is made by YouVersion, which probably most of you have that app, that YouVersion app. Um, that, that is done by a church. The pastor is called Life Church. Um, their hub is in Oklahoma. The pastor's name is Greg Rochelle. And that is, I think now with their online presence, the largest church in the world. And Life Church is, um, they, they gave that app. They, set, they give it for free. You, don't, you know, they've had, they had 2 million downloads of that app last month. And along that same premise, the same philosophy exists at Life Church that, that God called the pastor there to just give away all the resources that he had for free. So all of his teachings, any kind of curriculum, the Bible app, the resources to them, to missionaries, to help people all as, as much as they can to give away everything that they could possibly give away for the work of the ministry. And that was the model that they started with. And you should see the amazing, amazing work that God has done in that church um, over the years of, of this model of, of you cannot outgive God. That as God gives it in, you give it out. And, and one of our mantras is, you know, in giving, and one of our premises that we're going to start on, if you take notes, you can write this down. Listen, what you keep is all you have. But what you give, God multiplies. What you keep is all you have. What you give, God multiplies. Um, we had a, um, in our home church where Lydia's dad pastors, in the year 2000, our church borrowed $2.9 million from ECCU. The president of ECCU, he came out in 2000 to see our facility after they agreed to loan us $2.9 million. Then over the next 16 years, we, we built out a 40-acre campus. And, and just to, to save time, you know, with all the details of what we did, we, we, we built it out, we, we grew, the church grew, K-12 through school, Bible college, preschool, thrift store, um, church. And um, in 16 years, we, we fully paid back the $2.9 million. Phenomenal, really, feat. The, the president of ECCU came out in 2000, had not been back since then. And when we paid the loan off, he came back um, and his jaw hit the floor. The last time he seen the campus was 16 years ago, and he couldn't believe that in the process of paying back 2.9 million, what God did and what we were able to do in building and the change and the fruit and the growth that had happened in that ministry in that 16 years. And the president of ECCU was so impressed that they made um, our home church the poster child for, for lending for their organization. So to, if you go on their website, there's a promo video. They came out, they brought cameras, they, they did a commercial, they, they put an ad, they put quotes from Pastor Gerald on their website. And they're like, this is our poster child for lending and, and, and this is the way it's done right. And the, and the president of ECCU, he had one question for Pastor Gerald and he needed to know. He said, I got one question for you. He said, over the last 16 years, since we've loaned you the 2.9 million and you paid it all back, every penny, I've had to foreclose on other ministries. In the meantime, you guys paid it back. And he said, I got one question for you. He said, what are you guys doing for missions? And we begin to share with him. And over the 16 years, we've given more than 2.9 million away in missions, away. A lot more than 2.9 million, okay? In the 20 million number. And the guy said, 
all the churches that, that are giving away what God is giving them and using it for ministry and using it for God's glory, they're, they're growing and they're paying their bills. And all the churches that are saving it, I'm having to foreclose. And this is the president of ECCU who deals with lots of denominations and lots of churches. And again, his, his perspective that, that God is blessing those that, that, are, that are giving it out and blessing and giving it away. And that's a premise and a vision for our church as we move forward is that, is that we don't ever want to hoard what God gives us. And we only have, you know, what, what we keep is all we'll ever have. But what we give away, God can multiply. Amen? Amen. All right, so we better get to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. <clears throat> so in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we have um, 8 and 9. We have one of the places in the New Testament that has probably uh, just a big section to talk about money. If you, wanna, if, you know, if you want some principles of giving and, and of money, financial things, this is probably a place where you have the most of it talked about. So this is a place that we'll cover for two weeks um, as we receive our offering next week. And so um, just, just by quick setup, Paul... Um, is receiving an offering from the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church had promised Paul that they were going to give a special offering, which again was above and beyond their tithes. Now in this chapter, you, you, we could talk about tithing and you know the premise of tithe and what is a tithe, what is not a tithe. Is it tithe New Testament? Is it Old Testament? Is it biblical? Is it, you know, is it a tenth? And, but, but really this, this chapter 8 and 9 it is not talking primarily about the tithe. The, the issue here is a special above and beyond offering that they were giving. Now, I'll just say in the area of, of a love offering, we see in the Bible different levels of giving. The first one being a, a tithe, which is a, a tenth. And again, the Bible in the New Testament makes no commandment that you give a tenth or a tithe. Jesus said in one place, so the only place you'd have to stretch this a little bit, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and he said, he said, you tithe the only time I think the word tithe is mentioned by Jesus, he said, you tithe of all your mints and your cumins, um, which you should have done, but you, but you forget, you, you, you miss the weightier matters of the law, which are love and mercy. So Jesus tells the Pharisees that they tithe their mints and their cumins, which they should have done, but he's more concerned with the weightier matters of the law, love and mercy. Now, now, but the idea of a tithe, it's, it's, it's Genesis to Revelation. There's things in the Bible that are Old Testament, New Testament. There's things that are just Bible. They're just, they're just a principle that you find all the way through. You know, for somebody who would argue that, that the tithe is um, the law, the law of Moses, because it's in the law of Moses, the reality is that the tithe started 400 years before God gave the law of Moses. The law of Moses came to, the law came to Moses on Mount Sinai in Exodus 20. But, but 400 years before that, Abraham lived and Abraham tithed the tenth to Melchizedek. And so it, it's a principle that you see all the way through. But again, I, I think it would be an error. And I don't think I, I could um, say that there's, there's a New Testament commandment that you're required to tithe. Now, I would say that there is a call of God for you to be generous and give and bring to the local storehouse. And when we do an offering like the one we're, we're receiving here, it's a special offering. I'll show you a couple examples of it in the Bible. Um, you, you can't really be a part of it unless you give already. 
Unless you've already purposed in your heart what percentage and what you're giving to the Lord and, 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 and you know, you give regularly to your local church. Jesus said, bring your tithes and offerings to the storehouse. So that's, that's the, the premise. The storehouse is where you receive bread. So wherever you get fed, wherever you get your daily meal, the local church, that's, that's the storehouse. That's where the tithe comes. And then the next level is, is an offering above and beyond, a love offering, a special offering, a gift. And, and you can't participate in a next level giving offering unless you first tithe or unless you first give to the local storehouse. And so, um, so as we look at this, this particular offering was, a, was that second level. It was a, it was a special offering that Paul was going to ask the church or the church actually in Corinth had agreed to give to the church in Jerusalem. Now it's kind of like, like missions in reverse. It was almost be like our African missionaries had to send us money because we weren't doing well. Because the church in Jerusalem was the beginning, right? That was the hub. But the church in Jerusalem where, the, where Peter preached, where God poured out his spirit on Pentecost, where the early church began, they were struggling financially. Why? A couple reasons. Okay, number one, they were struggling financially because they had begun a communal living type of, of thing you can read in the Bible. Remember in Acts chapter 5, when Ananias and Sapphira come in and they give a gift, what happens to Ananias and Sapphira? They weren't half dead, they were mostly dead, they were fully dead, they were dead. So the Holy Spirit killed them as they lied to the Holy Spirit about the gift that they were bringing into this communal living. 3,000 people got saved on the day of Pentecost. Many of them were traveling from over different places. And, and, and just, just not by necessarily a, a spiritual direction of the Holy Spirit, which some people say, oh, well, the early church, they, they, they sold everything and brought it to the house and everybody communed together. But, but that wasn't because the Holy Spirit said that's the best model for church. What happened was just something that happened in Jerusalem and it failed. So, so the people were traveling from all over different places to come to Jerusalem for Pentecost, for, for, for um, the, the celebration, for Passover. And then after Pentecost happened, a lot of them just didn't go home. They just stayed, but they didn't, they didn't live there and they didn't have a place to stay. They were there staying with relatives. And, and so they, they needed a place to stay. A lot of the work in Jerusalem in those days was done in the temple. It was temple work. Lots of, lots of sheep were sacrificed on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis. There was lots of work to be done. And lots of them, the work that was done was done by temple workers. Now, they, when they got saved and became Christians, they all lost their jobs. The third thing that happened in Jerusalem in the first century was there was a famine. That There was a 2008, you know, hard times economy. So all that combined left the church in Jerusalem in a bad way. And Paul, who had started churches in these other places, is now going to a Gentile church that he started in Corinth. And, and Corinth was, a, was also a, you know, a place where the, the, um, the temple to Aphrodite's was. It was a place of, of, of pagan worship. But a Christian church was growing there. And they had lots of problems in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. All kinds of carnality and problems. And Paul is dealing with, with this, this really carnal and really struggling church in 1 Corinthians. Um, and then we get to 2 Corinthians and the relationship is growing. And it's the point now where the church is doing really well. And Paul is now coming to bring and to ask for this special offering. Let's look at verse number 1 of chapter 8. And it says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you... I have highlighted in my Bible, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. So what did Paul do about this offering? He made it known. 
Now, again, he's, he's making known to them the need that is presented. And I think that's very biblical. I think, again, for us, we, we're, we're making known to the church the need. We're trying our best to do it in such a way that we're not putting any undue pressure or obligation on anybody, that we've presented a need, and if you want to be a part of helping to meet that need, and we believe that's biblical. You know, I've talked to people about, you know, what's been going on in our church the last six weeks or so, and, you know, just being a little nervous, you know, kind of just trying to sound things off people. And one of the comments that I've heard, and, you know, not to pick on anybody, but I think if I heard it from one person, maybe other people have felt the same way. So, you know, it's important just to address it. The, the idea that, you know, that, that, that we, you know, what we could do is just let go and let God. That we could just have faith and, and just know that God's going to show up and do miracles. And I want to tell you that idea. You've ever heard that phrase before, let go, let God? I'm going to tell you that's not biblical. Now, let me tell you where it can become biblical. But this is, this is what the Bible says. This is the concept that, that the Bible teaches. Do all that you can to stand. And once you've done all that you can do to stand... Let go and let God. Stand, therefore. Everybody say, stand, therefore. Once you've done all you can do to stand, stand, therefore. So, so there is a part, there's a place in life where, you know, you just got to uh, allow your faith and just allow God to do something miraculous. But, but to, 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 to just make people aware of a need, that's exactly what Paul's doing here in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. He's going to go on, I'm going to tell you where he's going to tell them there's no obligation, there's no commandment. You don't have to do it, but I'm, I'm letting known to you. I'm giving you the opportunity to sow into God's kingdom, to be a part of something that, that God can give back for. Be a part of something that if you invest in it, you'll have an eternal reward. And, and so um, l- let's look at another example. I want to show you guys. Turn with me. I think it's kind of important that you kind of flip there. So go back to 1 Chronicles 29. Now, if you can find 1, 2 Samuel, go right. It's after 1 and 2 Kings. If you're in the Psalms, Proverbs, go left. Job, go left. First Chronicles 29. So as you're turning there, King David, you guys remember the story? King David, he wanted to build the temple, the first temple ever for God. David is in his palace. He's looking outside. And what does he see? He sees that tent that Moses built, that tabernacle thing. And he says, man, I'm in a palace. And, and God's house is this tent that Moses made and walked around the desert for 40 years. That's not right. And he goes to the prophet, Nathan, and he says, Nathan, I want to build God a house. It's not right. I live in this stone, brick, beautiful building, and God is still residing in this tent outside my house. And Nathan, who's a spiritual guy, he's the pastor, right? He's, he's like me, the spiritual one of the group. No, I'm just kidding. He, he gets so excited because the king wants to do something spiritual, and he just reacts spontaneously. And he just says, oh, David. He says, go do all that is in your heart. That's so cool, man. My king wants to build God a house. And, and then Nathan goes home, and David goes home, and he tells his wife, Nathan said yes, that God said I could build him a house. And he starts, his mind starts moving, and Nathan goes to get in bed, and, and, and he can't because God's knocking on his tor- forehead. Uh, Nathan, Hello. My prophet. And Nathan says, oh God, yes, yes, yes. What do you want to tell me? And God says, I didn't tell you to tell David to build me a house. That's not from me. You spoke out of turn. And you're the voice of God. You're the prophet in Israel. Guess what you get to do now? You have to go back and tell King David that you made a mistake. 
and that you're wrong and that the most powerful man in the world, you get to go tell him he cannot build me a house because he's a man of war and he killed too many people and his hands are bloody. But, and then that's 2 Samuel chapter 7, we get this powerful story where, where God's going to have to correct Nathan and David kind of through this story. But in that, God just decides to bless um, David's socks off. And he says, you can't build me a house, but I'm going to build you a house. And, 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 and someone will sit on the throne of David. A king of Israel will sit on the throne of David forever, meaning that Messiah was going to come through the line of David. So Nathan goes back and he tells David, um, you can't build the house. But your son Solomon can build the house. And so David doesn't just sit on his hands. And he says, okay, well, okay, okay, I get it, fine. God said, I can't build it. But God didn't say I couldn't raise the money for it. So what David does at the end of his life, from that point forward, you can read it in the history. David gets it in his heart that he's going to begin to, to gather the materials and give them to Solomon so that Solomon can build the first temple of God. And that's exactly the way it went down. In, in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, we come to the end of David's life and he's getting ready to pass things over to Solomon and he spent the entire latter part of his life raising the money to build this house for God, to build this temple. So much with his own money. And David's going to give testimony of how much of his own money and his own things he gave towards building the house. And this project in 29 is about building a house for God. And our project on September 2nd is about building a house for God. So I thought it kind of fit. So it says, furthermore, that's the background. David said to all the assembly. Now David's getting ready to die and pass the torch on to Solomon. He says, my son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. Now, have you ever heard that said about Solomon? Every time you hear something about Solomon, this dude is amazing, right? But I think a couple of weeks ago, we saw him in the story. And the queen of Sheba traveled all the way from Egypt to see his glory. And she said, this dude is bad to the bone. And when she left, she said, he's even more bad to the bone than I thought he was before I came. He impressed me even more than I could imagine. And I remember I told you guys she went home pregnant with his baby. And, and so you never hear this about Solomon, but David's like, oh, that's my son. He's, you know, he's young, he's inexperienced. And he was in the beginning days. And he says, and the work is great. Because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. And now for the house of my God. Listen, what does David say in chapter 29, verse 2? I have prepared with all my might gold for the things he made of gold. And then David goes on, silver, silver, bronze, colors, things. Moreover, I set my affection on the house to give my attention to God. And above all that I have prepared for the holy house, my own special treasure of gold and silver, thousands of gold, silver, gold, silver, gold, silver, gold, silver. Verse five, who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? Verse five, one of the things that you find in biblical um, interpretation is when a word or a phrase is repeated several times in a paragraph, in a chapter, it's done on purpose. The Holy Spirit recorded it that way for emphasis. So you take in your concordance, first Chronicles chapter 29, and, and, and then you punch in and it brings up every word that's used in first Chronicles 29. And next to the word, it tells you how many times that word was used in that chapter. Now, when you see higher numbers, sometimes, in, and many times, it is a theme or it's something. So one of those numbers in First Chronicles 29, and the key here is the first time it's introduced is in verse 5. It says, David said, who then is, somebody, 
willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord. Now this word willing, we're going to see it five more times in a short order. Then, then the leaders of the father's houses, leaders of the tribes of Israel's captains. Are you guys ready? Are you with me? First Chronicles 29, I'm in seven. All right, when I pause, you fill in the word. Derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver. Nope, I missed one. Verse six. Captains of thousands and hundreds with offerings over king's work offered willingly. They gave for the work of the house of God 5,000 talents. On Verse number nine. Then the people rejoiced for they had offered because with a loyal heart they had offered to the Lord. And King David was also rejoiced greatly. So I think what I like, you could turn back to Second Corinthians. What I like about that is that it records for us it's something that they did willingly. It's not something that they had to do. They had such an abundance that they started turning gold away. They had such an abundance to build the house of God in this story in Solomon's kingdom that they finally stopped collecting it because it was so much what people had brought to build the house of the Lord. But again, the principle was that there was great joy in the land because the people brought willingly. And then he goes back. And so, but, but again, the point being that David just made him aware of the need, right? And, and here, Paul is making him aware of the need. So it, it, it's, it's not that it's manufactured. It's, it's two biblical examples right here where we're just making aware of the need. So then it says in verse number two, um, that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Now, basically, Paul's going to start this offering. And he's not just going to show up and say, uh, oh, yeah, by the way, that, that offering, that money that you guys promised to, to help the church of Jerusalem with, can I have it? So he starts and he says, um, he gives them two examples. The first one being the other churches in Macedonia. And this was a really poor church that was in a bad way that was giving a lot. And Paul's going to use them as an example, as a motivation. And he's going to say, look, you know, in, in an area to encourage their faith. So he starts with this first example, verses 1 to 7, is about these other churches that were doing this. And then when he gets to verse number 8 and 9, he's really going to lay it on him, and he's going to use Jesus as the example. So as we look at verse number 2, it says that in, tri- in great trial, somebody say great trial, of affliction and abundance of their joy and their deep poverty. So what should follow this great trial of affliction and deep poverty. Now, when the Bible uses terms like great affliction, deep poverty, those emphasis words mean something. So this church has great affliction and deep poverty. You think what would follow that? And it would say, and they were miserable and they needed someone to come to their rescue and, and help them. Because they were in such a bad way in their deep poverty and affliction that they were laying down, they were struggling, the church was about to close its doors. That's not what it says at all. You'd think that's what it would say, but what's crazy, check this out. Whatever they had in this church, I want a little bit of this. I'm serious, I want me some of this. They had great trial of affliction, abundance of their joy. Their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, and yes, beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring with much urgency that we should receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Verse verse 4 means that they were imploring Paul to receive the gift. They were begging Paul to take the gift. Come on, Paul, please, please, can we get it? Can we give it? Come take it. We got it. We want to give it to you. They, they were so excited and, and thrilled to give out of deep poverty and great affliction. And it didn't affect their ability to give to God's work. 
It didn't affect their ability to to, want to give. And they didn't have anything. And it says, um, and not only as we had hoped, but they first gave of themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Now, verse 5 is the key. This church, um, in, in this church first gave to who? They first gave themselves to the Lord. Now, it's not possible to give yourself to, to these things if you don't first give yourself to the Lord. Right? It doesn't make sense. And again, I want to I just tell you again, if you're a guest here, if, if you're new to church and you're still figuring it out, um, it, it's not for you. It's really, I mean, you're, you're welcome to do what you want, but you just... We, we don't clean the fish before we catch them. You got to catch the fish before you can clean it. And, and you can't expect someone to be understand or to get there early in a season of walking with the Lord as a Christ follower. It's maybe something that comes with a few birthdays, maybe something that comes with a little experience. And, and so it, it's, 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 it's not for you. It's not for guests when we receive an offering. You know, on Christmas, we, we remind people, because we get lots of guests on Christmas and Easter, that we're going to receive an offering, but there's no obligation. If you're a guest, this is our gift to you. We want to minister to you. We want to love you. And there's, there's not required. This is an opportunity for our members and for those that want to give and believe in it. But, you know, and maybe someday you'll be there. We had a guy come to church here, new believer, and he was at another church. And he said, I'm not going to that church anymore. And I said, why? Was it preaching bad? Because if the preaching was bad, don't stay here. It's not going to get any better. No, I said, why, why, why not? Was the music bad? What didn't you like? And he said, no, all that was great. He said, the pastor told me that I had to give 10%. And he said, that's a car payment. Actually, what he said is, that's a truck payment. And, and I said, well, you don't have to give 10% here. Now, in my heart, do I believe that, that he would be better off if he gave the Lord 10% of his income? Not for me. For him, I do believe that. But it's not required. And I'm not going to require him to give it. Why? He, it wasn't because he, he just wasn't there yet. He didn't, and it's totally cool. Like, you, do you expect your toddlers to play football? Do you expect your toddlers to, to do backflips? Lydia's like, my toddler plays football on my face. <laughs> She's crazy. But, I mean, do you expect your toddler to recite Mozart or play Mozart on the piano? I mean, why? No, they're young. They got to grow. They got to learn. And as Christians, you know, what happened was I, I, I tried to love this guy. And I tried, to, I tried to give him a season to sit in the chairs and meet Jesus and grow and let God talk to his heart about that issue. And you know what happened? That guy stayed here and he got involved here. And after God began to work in his heart, and he began to grow in Jesus. He decided on his own without me putting any undue pressure on him that he wanted to start giving to the Lord. And he became a giver and he did it on his own. I didn't require it. And, it, and nor, nor would I for somebody who's not there yet. Right. And so that's the point that, that, that it's, it's a matter of God working in people's hearts. And we, you know, what we want in our church. No matter what you believe, you may disagree with everything I've said today. You may disagree with, with some of the premise. And, and part of what we want is we want you to be comfortable enough that, that we can agree to disagree or we can talk about things and, and that you're comfortable enough that you'll come back next week and, and hear what I got to say, whether, whether we agree or not. And, and I try to be careful never to, you know, make somebody feel stupid if they don't agree with what I'm saying. Like we can, we can disagree. And, you know, I've told you guys before to be Bereans. Don't, don't believe what I say. Don't take it hook, line, and sinker. Go check it out for yourself. Go make sure that's what the Word of God says. And if you find something different, or if you find something you don't understand, let's talk about it. And then I'll just show you where you're wrong. 
And then he says um, in verse number six. So we urged Titus that he had begun so that he would complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in all diligence and in all your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. Now, one of the words that you'll see was in verse one, it's in verse um, seven, um, along with this offering, like I talked about words that we draw our attention because they're repeated a lot of times. One of the words we see associated with this offering is grace, 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 grace. It's by the grace of God, because of the grace of God, in the grace of God. And, and so basically six and seven are just housekeeping. Paul's going to assign a little bit of team. Titus is one of them. He's going to talk about some other brothers in a minute. And, and, and they're going to assign some accountability teams to receive this offering um, from the church there in Corinth and take it to Jerusalem. And no doubt it would have been a cash offering. I don't think they had credit cards and uh, they weren't writing checks. And um, so most of this handling of this offering would have been done in cash. It would have had to be transported. It would have had to be counted and there would have to be accountability. And so they, um, so Paul's talking about that in six and seven. Titus is one of those people that are going to help with that. And then in verse eight, he says, I speak not by commandment. Oh, you guys can breathe now. Somebody rub your ears and say, woosa. Listen, does Paul command this? Is this a commandment? No. You're not sure? Look at verse number eight. I speak not by commandment. This is not a commandment. Paul's not commanding. He's not, and I'm not commanding. And we're never demanding or commanding. Okay, this is not a commandment. And it's not required. And Paul says, I'm testing your sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. Listen, you don't have to give. You should want to give. You should want to be a part of what God's doing. You know, people tell me all the time, oh, I don't have to be a Christian to go to church. I'm a Christian. I just don't go to church every Sunday. I don't believe in organized religion. That's a fooey hooey. Listen, if you're a Christian, you should want to go to church. That's the bottom line. That's probably part of the, the, the sign of you are a Christian or not. You're a Christian. You just don't ever want to go to church. Maybe a sign you're not a Christian. It's not that you have to go to church. Like, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. No, you don't. No, you don't. But if you are a Christian, doesn't it make sense that you'd want to go to church? That you'd want to be around believers? You'd want to, I mean, and the Bible says, do not forsake the gathering of the brethren, which is the practice of the heathen. It is commanded that, that in the Bible that you gather together with other believers. And what better opportunity than to do that on a Sunday and Wednesday at church as in obedience to God's word. And again, you, you, no, you don't have to give. But you have opportunity to give. And, and when you understand this next verse, hopefully it will change your perspective a little bit. And I can't stress this enough. Now, I want you guys to look at with me um, in verse. Well, we're going to get to it in 10, actually. 10, the next next verse in verse number nine. First, two minutes in nine and then we'll get to 10. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So Paul uses these two examples as he's, as, as he's asking for this offering to the Corinthian church. The first one is the other churches that were faithful. The second example he uses here in verse 8 and 9 is Jesus himself. Now, now Paul's going to throw down like the mic drop on him. He's going to go to the most powerful scripture in all the New Testament... Um, the kenosis and uh, that Jesus emptied himself. And the Bible says Jesus was a king in, in heaven. Now you think about Jesus existing before the earth was born. Do you realize Jesus existed before the earth was created? Jesus was here before Adam and Eve, right? You got that? Okay, before Adam and Eve 
Where did Jesus live? He lived in heaven. What do you think that was like? What do you think it was like if you're Jesus in that heaven? A little bit of paradise? Uh, um, well, the Bible gives us a little glimpse. The Bible says in Revelation that when the angels, when, they, when they're cruising around heaven and they run into Jesus, they freeze and they get this spontaneous act of worship because they see him and they, they can't help it and they combust and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come glory and honor. And they just begin to worship him in his kingdom because they can't help it because they just explode when they see him. Can you imagine walking around your house and your wife sees you and she stops? Oh, handsome, handsome, handsome. It's the Lord God, my husband. I mean, like good living, right? You're walking around the path. Things are going good. So Jesus, not only that, like he's king of heaven. He's walking around. Life is good. And he leaves that to become a dog. He leaves that to have men spit on his face and rip the beard out of his face, nail him to a cross. He he comes to heaven. He has a kingdom. He comes out of heaven where his throne is, where his kingdom is, where his mansion is, where his servants are. And he gets here to earth and he's born humble and, and, and he goes to a hotel to be born and there's no rooms left. So they put him in a manger where the animal's dung is. He grows up humble in a place called Nazareth and they say that, that nothing good can come out of Nazareth. And he becomes a carpenter and he works for a living in Nazareth as a carpenter. When it comes time for Jesus to, to ride into town on a triumphal entry three days before he's going to die on a cross, he doesn't have a donkey so he has to borrow one. When they come to, to, for Jesus to pay his taxes, he doesn't have the money. So he tells Peter to go to, the, go to the Sea of Galilee and get a fish and take the money out of the fish's mouth to pay his taxes. They, they come and they say, Jesus, we want to follow you and be where you are. And Jesus says, well, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but I don't have anywhere to lay my head. When, when, they, when they nailed him on a cross and they put him in a grave, they put him in a borrowed tomb because he didn't have his own tomb. Now, now, why did Jesus, the king of heaven, forego all of those pleasures on earth? No mansion, no kingdom, no pleasures, no money. Humility. Maybe he knew something. Do you, do you remember this, this time on the cross and Jesus is on the cross and he's already said six statements and he's got one left and he's going to die. He says it is finished. And then he breathes his last. And he dies. What happens right there? Where is he going? Huh? He's probably going to go strut around the kitchen in his mansion and wait for the angels to come by and see him, huh? I mean, like he's going home to heaven where he's, he's sent his treasure up where he's now king again. And, and now for all of eternity, he's going to be worshipped and, and, and hailed as king. And he sacrificed the life here for the one that was to come. As an example for you and I that this life is temporary and we sacrifice and we make sacrifices of this one. We invest in the kingdom of God because someday, you know, I, I, had, a, I had a business dealing recently with one of these deals. I told you guys about irons in the fire that we, we backed out of. And, 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 and one of the guys said to me to impress me that he owned 40,000 acres of property. And I was impressed. That's a lot of property. You're probably a really, really, really rich guy. But how much money do you need to make? I said to him. I said, we're a church. 
We're trying to help people. We give away over half our income. I said, and you own property this way and that way and that way and that way. I said, but I own property that way. And, and one day, I'm going to own 40,000 acres. <laughs> You're going to be the one begging. You know, there's, there's just a different perspective that, you know, that I, and I said, I'm not here to make money. My, my deal is not to make money. You can make all the money you need to make, whatever. I don't care. I'm not mad at you. We all got to make money to live. Money's good. We need money. Jesus didn't hate money. Nobody hates money. Money's not, not evil. Some people say, oh, money's evil. The Bible says money's evil. The Bible doesn't say money's evil. The Bible says the love of money's evil. The deceitfulness of money's evil. You, you know, the, the Bible doesn't say that money won't make you happy. You have to have money to be happy. What, what don't make you happy is more money. Because you, you always get lost in the pursuit of more money and you get stuck there. But we need money for our happiness. Having some money, having, having managing our money well and having the ability to, to not be in so much debt that we can't be generous people. Those, those things, those all have to do with our happiness. And God's not mad at those things. But, but we invest these things in the thing that Jesus was invested in. And, and, and here's the reason again. Um, here's the proof. Verse number 10. And we're almost done, you guys. Just give me a few more minutes. It says, and in this, I give advice. So he's already given co- that's not commandment. And now a little advice Paul's going to give. Verse 10, super important. It is to your advantage. You guys highlight that, read that, understand that. Verse number 10, I want you to say it with me. One, two, three. It is to your advantage. One more time. It is to your advantage. One more time. It is to your advantage. It, it is what you give for the church. It's not. Is what you give for, you know, does the church, you know, in in some respect need to function? And so we have that as as a a way that God laid it out. God, yes, yes, that's true. But it's for your advantage. It it really is God. And if you believe that about giving, that God has called you to be a part of generosity and called you to be a part of giving, but it's to your advantage. That, that what happens in the long run in your life is that God multiplies and God blesses what you give. God blesses your life. He blesses all, every part of your, you know, the, 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 the part of your life because he's trying to teach you to trust him. And it's for your advantage. And if you believe that and you don't have this concept that the church is trying to rip you off or the church needs something, you know, we tell people all the time, listen, God doesn't need your money. We don't need your money. We don't want anybody begrudging obligation. Please, if it's begrudging, don't give it. Don't give it here. Keep it. Go to McDonald's or whatever it is. Go, go buy a new whatever. Because there's no reward in it anyways. The reward is not in how much you gave. The reward is in how you gave it. So, so if it's begrudging and it's not with that understanding and it's not a, 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 a free will offering that you give hilariously as God loves a cheerful giver we'll see next week, then, then don't give it. It's not going to help you. It's not going to help us. And, and do we want people around us generous and to be a part of what God's doing, believe in what God's doing and give to our, give to our ministry? Absolutely. But do you, we never preach and we never believe that, that it won't happen without what you give. If you ever hear me say, this church won't make it if you don't give, go to a different church. This, this program won't exist unless you give. That, that, that's, that if God's, that's, that's not the way it works. Because God's not broke. Last time I checked, the Bible says God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and all the hills that they're on. That's God's speak for saying that dude is uber, uber, super rich. 
God has, owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need your money. He gives us an opportunity to be a part. And, and, and he blesses us as we do. So then um, one more concept, and then we are going to be done. We'll stop in verse 15. It says, um, advice not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago. So this is something that they began to do. It was a year ago. They offered it. And now Paul says, but also must. Now he goes from, it's not a commandment. It's a little bit of advice. And now we have a must in verse 11. You must complete the doing of it. So what you guys pledged, you, you have to complete. Now, I, I've been bragging about you guys. I've been bragging about this offering. The church in Jerusalem is now because you said you were going to do it. They, they are counting on it. They need it. So now Paul says in verse 11 that you guys should really come up with this offering that you, that you pledged because the church in Jerusalem needs it. And it says, and as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also will be a, a, a completion out of what you have. Verse 12, for if there is first willing mind... It is accepted according to what one has and not according to what one does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack and their abundance may also supply your lack that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over and he who gathered little had no lack. So that last verse 15 is a reference to um, the manna. And, and what happened is in the manna was, was something that God provided the children of Israel for 40 years. Now, if you went out in the morning and you collected a lot, next day you didn't have any extra because it rotted. If you went out and you collected a little, you had no lack because it met all of your needs. So whether you had a little or a lot, you were sustained and God met your needs. And every day you had to go out and collect more manna. Now, now for 40 years, God does this um, thing in the wilderness where every day the people have to go out and only collect enough for the day. And after a bit, I'm sure it got easier to trust God, but I'm sure in the beginning, when, when you had nothing and you go out and you collect this manna and, and you have to wake up the next day and, and look out the outside and run outside and see if it's there again. And, oh, wow, it's, it's here again. It's here again. And it got easier to trust God. But, but they went through a hard time and they didn't have anything. That, and they were poor for 40 years. They struggled. But you know what was going to happen? They, they were going to have to trust God through this 40 years. Do you know what was going to happen to the nation of Israel very shortly? They were going to become very wealthy. The next leader is Joshua. And, and, and from 40 years, they're going to cross the wilderness over the Jordan River. And, and after the battle at Jericho, they're going to go on 39 more battles and keep all the spoils. And by the time it's done, every one of them is going to be rich. But God had to prepare their hearts. In what way did God prepare their hearts? To say that you can trust me. What's 365 times 40? It's a lot. That's a lot of different days that God said to them, you can trust me. 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 365 times 400. You can trust me. You can trust me. 40, not 400, 40. You can trust me. 40 years, 365 days a year. They go out and they get the manna and God says, you can trust me. You can trust me. And God is teaching his people trust to, to, to bring them to the point where, where, where they're, they're going to be wealthy and be able to afford it. You know, that's part of what, what giving does too, is it, is it teaches each one of us that we can trust God. And you give according to um, your faith, just like you prophesy, just like you do gifts of the spirit according to your faith. And as we give according to our faith, God gives back. Amen. Got one more week of this. 
Chapter 9 next week. Let's stand. Next week we will, um, again, you know, we've been seven, eight weeks in now. So next week is the week that we're asking everybody to, to make a final decision and bring their offering for the, the building. And, you know, and then uh, we'll, we'll make an announcement very shortly how, where we are and, you know, how much of the, the 60,000 original goal we, we were able to, to raise and God was able to bring and, and, and where we are. And so um, if you haven't, if you're new and you want to be a part of that, basically, simply, we're just asking you to pray and ask God what that number is and what you're supposed to be a part of. And, you know, if uh, God says zero, the number zero, if God says uh, uh one with lots of zeros after it, then that's, that's a good number too. But whatever God's number is, that, that you would personally seek the Lord, there wouldn't be obligation, there wouldn't be requirement, but it would be an opportunity for you to sow into God's kingdom and God, and therefore just, just reap eternal rewards. Amen? Amen? Jesus, we thank you so much for this day, God. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you, Father, for each one who's come today, God. And we pray your blessing over our church and our finances. And Lord, help us to trust you. Lord, help us to know that we get to be a part of what you're doing, that, um, Lord, that, that you bring it. And, Lord, if we miss the opportunity, that, that someone else will take it. And that, Lord, there will be a, a reunion in heaven. And that you lived humbly. You became poor so that we might become rich. Lord, that's crazy that you left your kingdom and you left your heaven. And, and Lord, you, you came here to the earth and left all that so that we might become rich. And we thank you for the wealth that we have. We thank you that in this country and in this room, we're in the top 5% of the most wealthiest people in the world. And so, Lord, we thank you for that prosperity and that blessing. And we pray, God, that, um, Lord, as we're held accountable, Lord, as we're, we, we have opportunity to trust you, God, we do pray that you'd build a, a church here, Lord, a place where we're the little inn that could. Lord, we're the, we're the place where, where you bring people that are half dead and we care for them until you return. God, help us to be that place. Help us to have a chair that, that, that the ones that you bring that are half dead, that they have a place to sit down when they come. And they have people that will love them when they sit down and, and give them bread and wine and, and those things that they need to, to, to mend them back to life. That we'd give them Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day.